The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. Two times in one week, Brian. How are you hey. tonight, buddy? I'm good, buddy. How are you feeling? I'm doing good, man. Two times in one week just tells me that we are getting closer and closer to the season. How was your evening tonight? It was pretty chill, man. Just uh, wife still full bore into this, uh, you know, starting up school. So hanging out with the boy, did a little... Uh, little takeout for dinner and nothing too major how about you man uh similar similar wife texted me today she was like i'm sore i need an afternoon so i'm like why don't you just come home early take a nap i'll go get the kids give you a good hour so we did some uh, chinese here at the house and uh chilled out earlier this week last few baseball games until the fall so it's been a busy week so you know definitely here but uh man we've got a lot to jump into today um some pokey headlines coming up and then another food presser so with a lot of information that me and you as we listened to we were like oh boy i'm taking notes and uh kind of divulging some stuff and uh hypothesizing some stuff in our mind so let's start with the uh hokey headlines real quick brian got a couple commits this week yeah we did yes we did Kenji Christensen, six foot two, two hundred pound, eighty-seven rated, three star out of Pinson, Alabama. What do you think, Brian? That's a big boy to be a senior in high school. Yeah, he's a big boy, and he uh, he plays that way. I mean, looking at his tape, he's kind of your typical uh, one cut type back, um, but he is versatile. They did line him up in the wing, and he was running, um, you know, some some go routes. Um, they would uh, flare him out a little bit, catching some uh, balls out of the backfield. So he's definitely got some versatility there. But in terms of his running style, definitely a uh, kind of a one-cut-and-go type back. Oh, yeah, man. Um, he actually played a game, had a couple good runs in the highlight tapes um, on last Friday. So he is one of the guys that are committed in this class that is playing this fall, which maybe that helps get the bump. Up a you might bit. get a bump to a four. We'll see. Uh, hopefully that'll uh, that'll help the class, if nothing else. Absolutely. Now, also, uh, actually, really good offer list. Twenty-two total offers, including offers from Georgia, Kansas State, Nebraska, Arkansas, and 
UVA. So, you know, chalk up one for the guys against the guys up the road here. Um, I, I like him. You know, I just like that size. It, you, you know, regardless of where he is mentally, he walks on the campus, whether it be in January or whether it be in June of next year. And, yeah, you probably have to cut him up a little bit, but you're not having to add weight, which makes me think potential early contributor. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I, I definitely could see that. And probably of the the three backs, he's probably the one that probably will end up getting backfield carries the soonest. Yeah. Um, and I think the other two guys, you know, might get involved in other ways. Um, but I but I like his chances of getting in the backfield, getting those those big time carries uh, a little bit sooner there. Um, but really, I like you know all three of the backs we've gotten have uh, kind of bring something different to the table. But you know, really. Again, we talked about it already a lot, but skill guys being versatile. I mean, that's what we're we're bringing in here. We're either getting guys that have complementary defined roles or guys that can do a little bit of everything. Yep, and you got to love that. Weren't done yet in the commitment category. Jared Gibble out of Winston Salem, three star, eighty four ranked, six foot four, two hundred twenty five tight end. He had been committed to Charlotte before. We flip him. You know, it looks like I haven't seen his tape. Did you get a quick chance to look at it, Brian? Yeah, I peeked at it a little bit. Um, so seeing this commitment and seeing when it happened, um, I think that kind of tells me we're not sure about probably one of our one of our uh, of yeah. the two tier one guys we're looking at, whether it's Dingle or uh, Oots out of uh, was it South Carolina. Yeah, South Carolina out of Rock Hill. Yeah, so uh, – Sounds like to me we're at least shaky on one of those guys. Wanted to make sure that we get um, get Gibble in the boat here, so we go ahead and get that offer. It also looked like there may be some other Power Five schools that were about to um, send him a committable offer too. So we got out ahead of that, um, went ahead and got him in the boat. So I think that's that was a good move by us. Um, and looking at his tape, he's a willing blocker. He's a guy that can block pretty well and um, good job of high pointing the ball on some of the seam routes that I saw him run. So I think he's going to be able to compliment us a little bit in the, in the run game and in the pass game. So I, I think it's a good grab. I mean, I, nothing stands out. He's not a guy that the tape really jumps off at you, but solid in all phases. Well, and again, that's something you always want to hear about a tight end because I was getting ready to ask you, was he a joker? Was he an inline guy? Well, what you're telling me is he probably can do it all, which you kind of want from a tight end, um, at least what what we do. Because when you have the guy that can do it all, you really can you can really create bad matchups, regardless if he's a burner or if he's a great blocker. If he can do it all, they just put him out there, let them figure out what we're going to do with him, whether he you know runs a th back position, runs a wheel route, or is getting up to the second level as part of some blocking. So yeah. Um, not the biggest offer. Let's again, flipped him out of Charlotte, but, um, again, add one more to the class and to your point, probably on shaky ground with somebody. Let's go ahead and get a solid player, um, in the boat. Let's move on to the next one. All right, Brian, it all wasn't good news this week. <clears throat> about no, it was four, not. Hours, four hours ago. Uh, luckily we, me, you, Saw the writing on the wall between the crystal balls and some other conversations elsewhere. Um, probably the number one target 
for the Hokies in this recruiting cycle. Um, that was from definitely the, the last of the big ones in terms of in-state for sure. Definitely last in-state for sure. Um, shuts us out in the top ten. Talik Williams commits to Ohio State. Um, he is their 14th rated recruit out of like 16. So the rich get even richer. Um, you know, we, we've said it before, Ron. And, you know, just just go. Just just. All right. So we're going to say we're going to say a few things here. We're going to start with. Traditionally and recently, we have struggled with pulling top in state talent guys look at us as well. If I don't get a committable offer from that blue blood power five, there's always Virginia tech. And I feel like we were, it was kind of that way with Naquan Brown earlier this cycle. And I, unfortunately I think we were another victim here with, uh, with Ty Lake Williams, where it looked like both of those guys were going to go to Virginia tech if they didn't get the offer they were looking for and they got the offer they were looking for. Um, you know, I mean, there, there's several factors here. I mean, the big one is that we've got two brand new coaches on the defensive line, which is, is both a help and a hindrance at this point. I think they have really brought a lot of energy and they've got bona fides that I think play well on the recruiting trail. But right now, they haven't seen what they can do in terms of on-field product, and they haven't seen what they can do in terms of getting guys into the NFL. And until they start showing that, we're still going to have a hard time winning these battles heads up against the big boys. Yeah, and, and, and the whole COVID this year sucks even more because we missed the opportunities, spring ball, to potentially show some of these guys – this is what we're doing in the future. Regardless, we yeah. talk about getting in the NFL, man. That's looking two to three years down the road. Um, but when you miss spring ball, if you're doing new techniques, showing you know new, not new formations, but new techniques on the defensive line, how we're going to rotate, you're going to get looks early in our system. It's gone. Yep. Um, also, you don't get a chance for the guys recruiting him to essentially get him face-to-face. And when I mean face-to-face, I mean face-to-face in Blacksburg, you know, and one of those things where it's like if when you don't get that, it it hurts because that's one of the big things we have is those two personalities, well, really three. I'm going to put Justin Hamilton in there too. Those three personalities that if you sit in a room with, and you see some of their interviews, you feel like you could create an energy and some sort of dynamic with a young player to where potentially maybe Ohio State comes in the room and offers, and he's like, no, I'm good. No, I'm good. They've been on me from the beginning. Yep, this is a new coaching staff, but I'm feeling the same vibes. You miss that. Um, it, but don't get me wrong, because staff has to get better at this. Yeah. And can winning fix it? Yes. But you've got to go win. Last two seasons, we've not done that. Um, clearly, they are targeting the state of Virginia, so it's not one of these. Or they're not trying to get anyone. We have multiple kids from in-state. Highest ranked is 14th. You know, and when you look at like who are they getting out recruited by, 
this this is the current top ten, and this is where they're going. Two are a little bit spotty, but the other ones you kind of get. Oklahoma, Louisiana Monroe, which just baffles me with James Gillespie. Yep. Um, Trent Atkinson is going to West Virginia. That's western, far western part of the state. Does that shock you? Nope. Um, Taylor's going to UVA. Aaron Willis, former commit, Tennessee. George Wilson's going to South Carolina. Gilliam, Oklahoma. Tyleek, Ohio State. Travion, Ohio State. And Tristan, pretty much people are thinking they're down to Clemson and LSU. Take Gillespie out and then the Logan Taylor thing. You know what? That's the thing about recruiting in state. You you know, your your rival can go get those guys. And they did. And for them, they need that help. I mean, I guarantee if Logan Taylor's not starting next year, that is a whiff for them. Yeah. A big whiff. Because that offensive line you've already discussed in the past, they are thin. But then you look at the other ones, it's the George Wilson's the only one you can say, well, South Carolina's they're an SDC school. He wasn't getting recruited hard by a lot of teams because of the expectation he's probably going to play basketball. So, yeah, so it sucks. They need to do better. Again, hopefully a great season this season, piggybacking on going into next year, having your normal recruiting cycle where Ham, Tap, Tillington all get on the trail. Changes that. If it doesn't, you know, it doesn't yeah. matter. Yes. But if we're winning nine to 11 games a year, all right, you don't want to come here. That's your prerogative. We're running less than that. It becomes a bigger issue. It becomes more of a, you, it might be the end of this coaching staff. Sure. And I think the big thing that we need to focus on is the closing because. Can't do it yet. I feel like we're, we get there and then we don't close. And I feel like it's been, kind of the theme of this cycle, even more so than some of the last couple. Um, And, you know, I'm not sure what has changed a little bit. Obviously having a, you know, stacking a six win season and an eight win season isn't exactly blowing people's skirts up. And then you can kind of negative recruit off that, especially after some of the things that were coming out um, in the 2018. But I think now that we've got more of a veteran team, we should be able to improve that product and hopefully that improves the ability to close on these guys. Um, but right now that's the problem and the staff just has to get better at it. Even if, you know, the wins come because it's still going to be a fight, especially against those blue bloods. We got to start winning. Even if we only win 25% of those battles, we got to start doing that. Yep. hundred percent, man. 100% got to start getting some, of them one. Well, let's go back to some happier news. Um, A little earlier this week, yesterday to be exact, the 26th, Cam Phillips gets signed by the Panthers. Big time. Big time. Good for him. Um, As everybody knows, we were covering him earlier this year, you know, led the XFL in receiving yards with 455 in five games, also had nine touchdowns. Um, including their week three where he went eight for 194, which is just nuts. Um, good, just good for him. Good with the rock buying the XFL. 
this right here shows what it can be. Guys who are unsigned or lower drafted, go there, develop, show you can play. Then your opportunities arise. Yeah, and I think that's it's good for Cam. I'm surprised it took this long. I thought he would have been on a roster before Cam started. But I'm glad to see that he's on there now that they're starting to see, you know, some attrition and maybe some of the guys they thought might pan not panning. Um, yep. So I'm, I'm glad that he's in there. And it sounds like, you know, he's going to make some noise, in my opinion, because, you know, he's everywhere he's been, he's been he's making plays and I, I, I think he's going to do well here. I mean, when we started this podcast was when the XFL was just starting out as well. So a lot of our early episodes, you know, we're devoting time to hyping up Cam, and I'm glad to see him finally get on the NFL roster here. Absolutely, man. And, you know, something that if you remember, Joe Brady, who was LSU's offensive coordinator, went with Rule down to the Panthers, and Rule has said he probably wants to keep seven wideouts. So fantasy alert, guys who are going to be on fantasy squads, potentially ours, DJ Moore, Curtis, Samuel, Robbie Anderson are going nowhere on that team. They are locked in. So it leaves him kind of in a battle with with five other guys for four spots. But really, he's six, so six for four. So hopefully, Cam can go down and show his worth, make the practice, make the squad, and uh, continue his career. All right, Brian, let's go, buddy. We got a lot to cover. The Foo press conference. Um, what do you want to kick it off with? Let's start with what it seemed every reporter was asking about which was what are some of the effects of COVID on practicing and camp and everything else that's been going on thus far to start the season well yeah I mean I mean some of the stuff was repetitive listening to the press conference which you almost want to be like you guys are reporters right you guys take notes right like me and Brian are, we do a we do a fan podcast we have a lot of fun we're like you already asked this question why are you asking it again but a couple of the bigger things that came out of that, Brian, um, he kind of mentioned about the way guys are coming in. They're coming in at different stages. It wasn't like everybody got here, same time, check in, do this, do this, because of kind of the awkwardness of having to bring in, you know, probably over 100 guys and get them adapted. Two of the big pieces were Changa, finally, Changa Hodges finally participating in limited sessions. And they're still waiting on Devin Taylor to get with the team. Are we shocked by that? I'm not. No. No. Um, and, you know, you already talked about it, but um, it's he, he kind of broke down the stages. It's like, okay, well, you get to campus, you know, you're kind of sequestered for a fixed amount of time once you get your test back and, you know, you have that, that amount of time. Then, you know, they start working in gradually into small group um, film sessions and then small group practice sessions and then they go full group as as you get more uh, more time with the team there so that's kind of the protocol that they're following sounds like Changa Hodges is in kind of phase two preparing yep. for phase three and Devin Taylor's kind of right on the the fringe of moving from phase one to phase two so he's still kind of waiting to get with the team and start doing some of those team activities versus probably what he's doing now which is mostly trying to digest the playbook and, you know, stay sequestered <laughs> into wherever they have him. <laughs> stay sequestered, get yourself into condition shape, look over the playbook of what we're doing. I mean, it all makes sense. Um, so, you know, but it's got to be that way this year. 
Um, and there's no way around it. At least you feel comfortable how they're doing the protocols and they're not taking risk of infecting a whole team. Um, he also mentioned no additional opt-outs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but let's go to something you we mentioned that he kind of mentioned about doing the contact tracing and how it could remove several players from team at a time. And it we have not been affected yet, but you saw the two big stories in the last couple of days. The Lincoln Riley thing that came out basically saying um, we essentially lost an entire group that has to play on the field at the same time, but one person. Yep. And then LSU comes out and says, we essentially lost four guys. They said it from our offensive line. Yeah, offensive line. And the question is, is are they infected or are they simply contact tracing where backup left guard got it? He's always around those guys, um, which sucks. But I'm sure I think I sent you the link yesterday. The new test that came out. I, I think that's that's a game changer with that test. Yeah, it literally. Yeah, if, if, if they're able to get that going, that's gonna make things a whole lot easier because you know no longer are you having to precautionarily quarantine quarantine an entire group of folks because of one positive test. Yeah positive then no they're gonna have to quarantine for a couple of days yes but but uh, but not not a, an extended period of time <laughs> which is going to make between that test the saliva test it is something to worry about you wonder are we breaking up where we're splitting guys up where maybe certain guys just aren't playing with one another i would hope so but if not maybe it's hey we trust the guys to do the right thing um but that would suck I mentioned today, what if a team raises their hand? Um, you know, this is on Wes's show today. Team raise your hand. Oh, we can't play this week. How many guys you got? We got a cluster. I mean, how many you got? We got five. Oh, guys can't play this week? What they're not telling you is, yeah, we got three starting offensive linemen out, our starting running back, and our best corner out. We ain't playing this week. We got a cluster here. Versus yeah. somebody tells you 10, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you definitely can't play. You're, you're missing ten guys regardless. So yeah, ten, any any ten guys off of a travel squad is going to be a, a big oh, deal. Big. Three to four guys, that's only maybe slightly higher in one week than what you, what a typical injury report would be. So exactly, you know, th- there's a there's manageable and there's not manageable. And I get what you're saying is that it depends on who those manageable players are. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. A um, couple other things he mentioned, and I want to ask you about this. The sideline game day changes. There's going to be bigger areas for the players. The shield altered. We saw the uh, tweet, which was it looks awesome. And from the sound of it, they're getting more used to it. Give me your take on both of those, because a more room on the sideline. I'm sure some guys would be like, "That's great." I'm sure some guys, I would think, offensive linemen, like, "No." We need to be near each other so we can be talking and freaking communicating. Yeah, I mean, it, this is really big for, in terms of just sideline after a series, offensive linemen and really the entire defense is usually <clears throat> pulling themselves to the side and talking through things as a unit. So that's going to be a big thing that they'll need to work around and figure out a way to do that that's safe and at least, you know, 
arm's length apart, if nothing else. You know, it's good that they're going to have a bigger area for that to happen um, on the sidelines because space it can be an issue, especially yeah. you know once you talk about some of the things that you, you know. I think the reason we're opening things up here is that some of the things that you're used to having on the sidelines are now going to be taken out of play because there's going to be limited or no fan environment here at the games. So I think there's going to be less of the kind of extra stuff going on there, but it's yeah. still going to be hard for them to, them to make that work in terms of the shield alterations. Um, I mean, that's honestly the, a, a big boy's dream <laughs> because I'm sure all of those big boys were balking early on about wearing the full face shield. Uh, um, we, we tend to suck wind after a while and uh, shields make that a little bit harder to do. Um, so I imagine that's definitely, uh, news to the ears of the offensive linemen and some of the guys on the defensive side of the ball as well. So, um, I like what they're doing. I like that. They're not just saying, well, here's what you got. You either wear it or you don't. They're trying to make it work for everybody and still do it safely. So I like that, that they're, um, taking those steps. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they're trying to make it where they're protecting them. But at the same time, as you mentioned, trying to make it breathe, because clearly 300 pound guys out there sucking wind, you need to get them air. Um, and especially sometimes when we run those tempo plays where we hit a big one and we're lining up to go quick, like got to let them breathe. So it's yeah, I'm all, not trying to pass out after I've sprinted 50 yards to get the next playoff so we can get in the end zone. <laughs> nobody is. Nobody is. All right, so not all good news the last couple days um, from the ACC as a whole. You know, we had the UNC cluster outbreaks. Notre Dame had their cluster outbreaks. Notre Dame looks like they're getting back on track pretty quick. Yes. Um, And then we had the NC State outbreak. Um, Best part of this news, Brian? The plug was not pulled. Not by the teams? (laughs) Not by the ACC? Nope. Think that with those happening, and there are other places too. You're hearing it at other campuses and other conferences. I don't think anybody's pulling the plug. I, I think they feel like it's. We know it's going to happen. We're trying to protect our guys best we can. We're trying to put them in good situations. We've got the tests. The whole myocarditis thing, which now is nobody's talked about anymore. When all these clusters broke out, I wonder why. Yeah. Um. <laughs> A, because doctors were looking at it and saying, because now it's like it's even rarer than initially thought. I think I read that the other day. So, um, yeah, but the, what's going to be the best way to say? With all this happening, there's going to be, there's going to be a week you're expected to play an opponent. You're not going to play that opponent probably. Yeah. So, you know, and I mean, Fuente talked about it during the press conference, you know, being able to adapt is going to be the key this year. Yeah. Um, if you're not able to, the team that can adapt well, or at least adapt as well as can be expected is going to be the team. One of the, one of the teams that's going to be there at the end, um, whether that end is <laughs> earlier than we expect or not. <laughs> um, but you know, it's, it's good that they didn't pull the plug. And it sounds like at least for in the Notre Dame cases that, Hey, protocols are working, but we had an outbreak. We kept it contained, and we mo- we're moving forward. 
So I think that's a good thing. It sounds like their protocols are working. UNC and NC State, I don't know. Um, it sounds like the greater RDU um, area there is uh, struggling with some cases right now in general, not just on these campuses, but in general. Who would have thought that one of the most populous areas in the country uh, and all of a sudden a bunch of students descend on it at one time that there would be a problem? Who saw that coming? Well, then the whole thing, and we said it last <laughs> week, not testing the kids as they come in, regardless if it takes – you know, five days, 10 days, you know, it's one of those things where it's just idiotic. Yeah. It's really idiotic to not say you're going to test these kids as they come in, because if you do have one, you can quickly identify them and say, you have it. You need to stay in for 14 days, you know, because how do you think that probably the big outbreaks happened? They were all partying in Raleigh, help probably people who asymptomatic, yeah. Didn't test them. Go out there and do whatever you're going to do. Next so, thing yeah. you know. Yep. So, I mean, that's a problem. And that brings us to the other thing that happened as a result of this is that uh, NC State has, uh, because of that cluster, we've now moved that game from the 12th to the 26th. So, you know, we lose our opener. And now because we lose our opener, we also lose our bye week here. Um, yeah. And that creates its own set of problems here i mean we we had talked about different scenarios we would have liked to seen if we probably had more time yeah to do it um i think of the options moving liberty to that date was probably the most palatable yeah um, because we would at least have a closer bye week than after week 10 <laughs> um so i think that would have been at least a little more palatable i think it would have been what week eight would have been the other bye or week Ooh. nine but I think the reason they're not doing it, I think, and this is just something I've been thinking about today. I didn't mention it to you yesterday. I don't think they've moved anything to that date because, for example, um, let me pull up ACC schedule here. For example, Boston College. Boston College is playing Duke on the 19th, correct? Yes. All right. Let's say something funky happens and they can't. The week before – Boston College, Duke comes down with something. They can't play. Well, hold on. Well, let's do this. Why don't we play Boston College? I don't think what's in stone is what's in stone. Yeah. As things start changing is when they're going to start moving. I think the out-of-conference gates, they're essentially going to look at them and say, listen, you're not going to change that because if it's something funky happens and, you know, you miss this game, yep. hey, Rudy, goodbye. Hey, we're dropping you guys here to play them. Um, that's my thought, at least. I think it's set because I think there's somebody in the ACC headquarters that has figured out some, you know, some scenarios if things start breaking out like the NC State. We, well, we leave them both here. We can both play them here. And, yep, they're open here. Well, what if we move the Liberty game up? No, no, don't move the Liberty game up because if something happens to one of your other teams you're going to play, we can move them into your slot here take that one up and move some other things around. I think it's going to be wild because I think at the beginning of some weeks, we're going to be told, oh, yeah, we're playing Wake Forest this week. No, you're not. You're playing Pitt now. Huh? Okay. Let's go to it. So to your point, Coach Fuente discussing about the adapting is going to be a really big thing. Now, Brian, we're not playing them the 12th anymore. We're playing them the 26th, but we're not filling the game on the 12th. So what does that mean? 
What's our opening game? Week begins now. Now. So game one will be for the Commonwealth. Three and a half weeks, baby. Get all the hate out there you want. Three and a half weeks till the cup comes back home. Um, opening game for both teams. I I kind of wonder if have has either team ever opened the season with one another for the cup. Um, you know, pre ACC days they would sometimes play in earlier parts of the year based on depending on the schedules. Yeah. But um, we are going to definitely in a few weeks start getting into that. But hate week starts now. Um, and throw it Ginger, out there. Embrace Ginger, it. Ginger Tebow is their quarterback. Yeah, they officially announced today Ginger Tebow. Uh, Ginger Brennan Tebow. Armstrong will be the starting quarterback for UVA. Um, I think if, if of the two I had to pick, I think I would have rather have him. Yeah. Just because not only do we have a little bit of tape on him already in terms yep. of what he does in this offense, uh-huh. but I think his skill set is a little bit easier to prepare for because it's not just based on athleticism. <coughs> yep. Sometimes you you know when you know okay well I need to cover these routes he's going to throw the ball it's at, sometimes that's a little easier to prepare for than. You know, we get a good pass rush, but all of a sudden he escapes the pocket and there's a 50-yard gain. That's a little bit harder to prepare for because if your initial object of keeping him in the pocket fails, you know, everything goes to pot. (laughs) It does. And we're going to definitely dive deeper into that because we're, A, going to have more time to dive deeper into that, not just a week, more of like two weeks. So it will be fun to break down those games. But get your hate gene. Keep it strong out there. Um, and just every time you walk by a UVA fan, just say, you ain't going to get to hold of the year, baby. All right, Brian. We look here. Coach talked about some key position battles and storylines. I want to start with this one. And it caught me in your ear. We, we paused it when he said it. Yep. Tamari's been working with Coach Ham a little bit. We were like, what? what? Pause. Brian. Brian, what do you think that means? Well, he he uh, he alluded to it even a little bit more later, but from what it sounds like, it sounds like Shamari's playing some boundary safety in some situations. Boundary and safety. boundary safety is the artist formerly known as Rover. <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually, you need to, we need to put that somewhere. Boundary safety, the artist formerly known as <laughs> Rover. Yeah, so you start hearing that Chamari's skill set definitely fits, can play a strong safety. Um, Devin Hunter, from the way it looks, he is going to be our base strong safety. Heck, he might even play some strong safety in nickel packages. Um, but we know we know Chamari's skill set. Chamari does have some cover skills. He is a hard hitter. He can play some zone. And it, it tells – we, we discussed it, and I, I, I kind of rolled through it with you, Brian, as we were talking about it. It tells me we might have, for the first time in, a, in maybe a long time, maybe, I, mean, I feel like I feel like ever, we might have a true nickel this year, a true nickel package versus playing our base all game and just changing some of the coverage alignments for the whip. What do you think? Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me, and I'm not sure if this is going to be something that's going to be, you know, 
that we're going to go to in any long third down yardage situation where we feel like we can sub. I'm not sure if it's going to be that, but it sounds like at least situationally we might go to that. So prime example here. I mean, there's some teams that, you know, don't go three and four wide on, on third and long, probably not a necessity to throw out your nickel package there, but the teams that consistently do, and you have an opportunity to sub and match up better with that, more than likely we're going to do that with, you know, either, you know, Murray, Taylor, or or Chapman out there playing, you know, a true nickel corner and Chamari Connor rotating to boundary safety artist formerly known as Rover. Um, I could definitely see that happening with some of the things that Jay Ham is shaking up here. So I really like the idea. Um, like I said, I'm not sure if it's something that we deploy all the time, but I think we would at least do it when the situation works and we have the opportunity to sub. Yeah, absolutely. And and when you have those guys on that corner that can play it, you've got to take advantage of it. You've got to take advantage of Tamari's skill in doing that. Um, Coach said a couple other great things about Tamari, about, you know, obviously great player, talked about how he's become more of a leader um, this year really physical I and mean, we we saw that last year at playing whip man he he liked to hit people jesus and then you know just again that talking about working with jay ham i think that's again a thing that jay ham can offer whoever plays whip in the future if we continue again they're, they're still calling it whip but is that going to be a a new product of the jay ham system where if you play whip linebacker you're going to get some looks at strong safety that helps selling that position where it says, hey, when we go to nickel, you're going to play, you're going to play safety. Now, what that's going to do for you is as you start developing, now you get your opportunities to show what you can do potentially for the NFL. And I really like that. Yeah, and I think it, it might be another, you know, call specific type situation where if we're going more of a zone on third and long, you might leave Devin Hunter in. But if we're going, man, if you have the opportunity to sub, you might do it. So I, I think I think it could be deployed that way. And, I, I, again, like you said, working with Jay Ham and, you know, the line was Jay Ham doing things that help play to Chamari Connor's strengths. And I think when we talk about overall versatility on the defense – especially in the secondary, Chamari Connor is the most versatile player we have because he does a lot of things damn well. Um, You know, he's not, he's not quite elite level coverage, but he's damn good. He's not quite elite level in zone, but he's damn good. Um, And I think because of that and the physicality that he brings, you know, that's why they're using him as kind of like, a joker type role on defense where he can kind of do multiple things. The last thing I would ask Brian is even some of those times when you're going to leave him, let's say you leave Hunter on the field. Could you see him playing some like nickel linebacker to where you're almost going to leave Ray shard in straight middle. You, you take Dax off the field in this case, you leave Ray shard to play Mike and let him go, you know, whatever weak side is stay in there. It gives more looks. Yeah. Do you think that could happen or is, am I, am I pipe dreaming that? I think that could happen. And, you know, so, some of that could end up playing into why we're seeing 
Um, you know, a guy like Amari Barno working at uh, a defensive end, being able to, you know, slide back in a zone coverage if, if the situation called for, for, a, you know, in a, in a zone blitz scenario there. So there's a lot of things that could play in there. So I'm, I'm interested to see what Jay Ham does with those, uh, those guys, because he's got athletes all over the field. I mean, you've got a defensive end now that's, that played safety in high school and has been a linebacker his entire collegiate career now with his hand in the dirt. So it's going to be interesting to see how he deploys all these versatile weapons. Absolutely. Now, speaking of versatility, um, Coach was asked about running backs. He said, I'm going to, you know, omit Raheem Blackshear, but you've always mentioned Raheem Blackshear is going to be all over the place. So saying he's going to be with the just the running backs is kind of a disservice to him. But he mentioned Khalil, Jalen Holston, Keyshawn King are getting most of the reps with the ones. Um, is any shock with that, or is that kind of the way you see it? If we took Blackshear out of the picture, that's what I figured was going to happen. Um, I, you know, more more or less, I I figured Khalil was going to be getting, you know, the one A carries and um, Jalen probably one B with Keyshawn having kind of some either spell packages or packages that are specified to his strengths. Since I think he's still coming along there, um, yeah. and then there, you know, they also talked about Marco Lee getting in there as well. Um, I like him and definitely like him in terms of what he brings to a short yardage package. So I could probably see him having that role for us. And you look at him and Jalen, they're built like, I mean, good Lord, they're just, they're just big human beings. Um, and, and it's good to, again, we talk about the way we recruited the running backs and you're seeing Kenji's your power, Malachi more, you're all around. And, you know, black more of he's going to be in the slot. He's going to be back here. He's going to play some wide out. We're going to do some funky things with him. And you kind of see it here with each of those guys. Um, and, and it's good to hear. Just hope we get that black shear stuff going on. I know we're going to talk about it in a few minutes here. <laughs> now he also jumped into special teams. The first one was Tavion's a punt returner is the punt returner. Yep. Uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. No. He, you know, his numbers at the end of last year when he took over, he was very high in the NCAA um, punt return, you know, yards per punt. And he um, wasn't muffing them. No, he wasn't. Which <laughs> a couple years. Um, also mentioned that Herbert and Raheem have also been back there as punt returners. With those guys being older, I think for me and you, we know they've done it in the past. They did it at Kansas. They did it at Rutgers. You feel like punt return finally – Three years, cheesy peasy, but finally we're, we're good on punt returns. We have dangerous guys back there, and we're not going to screw it up. Yep. And, I mean, he talked about that. He talked about uh, right now we got King and uh, Jalen Holston as kind of the the 1A and 1B for the, for the kick return, and King doesn't shock me. Um, Holston, a little bit of a shock, but when you think about it a little bit, um, you know, having a guy out there that's a running back, um, good athleticism, but big enough to deliver a block and be out there leading for for a guy like King, who is more of the athlete. And then they also talked about, um, you know, if eligible, you know, Raheem Blackshear would be one of the guys back there as well. He didn't say whether he would be in there instead of King or instead of Holston, but I think he would work in either, either position there. Um, so... I, I would really like what our return game could look like, especially if 
you know, a guy like Blackshear is healthy because you're talking about probably, you know, too deep at both return positions of guys that are really dangerous. And, and that's a great feeling when you're that deep. And it, again, it puts pressure on the other team. Uh, you got to get it out of the end zone. Well, as we've seen sometimes when guys try to get it out of the end zone, they put it off the sidelines and you get unbelievable field position. But when he mentioned the Raheem thing, as well as King and Holston, um, the one thing I kind of thought of, it might be we get to go in, we can see how this team is kicking. This team always tries to kick short. So in this situation, we're going to keep Jalen out there. Yeah. Keyshawn or Raheem's going to go to it. Jalen's going to start setting up blocks. If this team's putting it in the end zone every time, we're going to keep Raheem. We're going to keep Keyshawn on the field. Because if they miss one, we want one of our two faster guys back. So maybe that's what they're looking at. But, again, you look at Jalen Holston's size. He can get it out of the end zone, but he also can deliver that crushing blow, man. No doubt. Right. No doubt. Brian, you got some stuff on the defensive ends, especially uh, kind of two new guys. Yeah, so Fuente was talking about – he asked the question about the two kind of newer guys that have gotten some buzz um, – from all the camp practices, um, that being Justice Reed and Amari Barno. Um, talked first about Barno, um, said he could really run, and he's getting better every day at you know learning the position, um, but it's going to be a process, which, I mean, doesn't really surprise uh, probably anyone listening here. I mean, as we stated earlier, you know, high school safety, been playing a linebacker for a long time. This is his first time really putting his hand in the dirt. It sounds like he's taking to it very well, which doesn't surprise me based on his size and athleticism. Um, but it's still going to take him time to work through some of those, you know, pass rush moves, engaging, um, you know, a much bigger guy on a down by down basis and, you know, being able to kind of learn the specifics of pursuit and, um, and things of that nature. So I think he's still going to probably be learning those things, but it sounds like he's coming along great. Um, <clears throat> Justice Reed, I mean, he told us the, uh, the obvious thing there. He is a big, strong player. <laughs> and if growing. anybody's seen the photo, uh, circulating on Twitter and other, uh, social media avenues and the, uh, circumference of this dude's arm, uh, you, you got no doubt in your mind. This is a big dude. Um, but he, he brings maturity to the team as well as what he's, what, what Fuente talked about and that he's, you know, full grown up here, yeah. um, talented player. And like right now, the only shortcoming that he, he mentioned that he, is he's still learning the scheme a little bit. So that may be, um, hindering him in practice some, but it sounds like he's going to, you know, get that, that ironed out and should be ready to go, um, by the time, uh, September 19th rolls around. Absolutely. Another thing about justice, I think probably hopefully they are letting him do the talk about adversity, you know, justice really high rate of recruitment down to Florida, had the injuries, did not quit, kept yep. work, kept working, transferred to Youngstown state, kept working, got hurt again, goes out, has a good season, keeps working, keeps looking for opportunities at perseverance and stuff. You know, I'm sure sometimes hearing it from a teammate about certain issues and certain things can definitely motivate guys, maybe even more so than the coaches. So I, I really like having him here. Maybe we'll have him next year, too. He can be the first, what, eighth-year senior or something like that. Something like that, yeah. I mean, and like you said, I, I like that he's a guy that uh, 
you know, he had a lot thrown at him coming out of high school, being a really high, high recruit, and then was handed some some pretty rough hands. But he's he's kept at it. He has, he didn't let those those downsides you know define his career. He kept coming back at it. So it's it's nice to see him get an opportunity to play some power five ball um, after all these years, after those, uh, you know, a couple big injuries for him. Um, you know, the last thing that Fuente discussed, um, well, one of the last things he discussed was some of the quarterback uh, situation that we've had um, for several years now. And, you know, we, we talked about before, we think to a, to a lesser extent, some of this is, um, is lip service to motivate um, Hendon Hooker to, to improve his game and take it to the next level. But I mean, I think there is a true competition out there as well. Um, and he talked about the, the, all the guys in the room and, you know, we'll reiterate here. We think it's the best quarterback room, at least in the conference and in one of the best in the country. So um, he talked first about Knox and, and I'll let you roll with that one, Curtis. Yeah. Just talking about Knox is improving. If the biggest thing he sees, with Knox is just in the last year how physically stronger he's gotten and that makes sense you know I think Knox came in at like he's six foot three he's 180 pounds coming in and now he's had that full year to get the nutrition program to be in the weight room to be out there running and and did that shock me no do I do I do I know where Knox is going to be in a couple years no it's the way we're recruiting quarterbacks in the room right now would it shock me if he left nope but when you hear that, it tells you they've got them motivated to get better. Now, something we have talked about, and it made us feel good listening to the presser was, <laughs> for real, it did, man. Yeah. Hendon, Quincy, and Braxton, they're all different styles. We can all do different things with them depending on who goes. Did we talk about that, Brian? It's one reason why the quarterback room is so good. <laughs> exactly. We, we talked about that. We talked about how – you know, if one guy goes down, you know, you can adjust your playbook and, and play to the strength of these guys because all of them do two, you know, at least two things really well. And you can kind of just run your offense through those things. Um, and, you know, just looking at the way they have played, I think, you know, Hendon in terms of all the things he brings to the table, specifically the leadership and the, the way he handles a huddle, are going to yeah. be what puts it over the top for him in terms of, you know, maintaining the starting role and starting the season as our uh, QB one here. Um, but yeah. he talked other things about uh, Quincy and Braxton as well. It sounds like Braxton has had a really good camp. Yep. Um, it sounds like he's picked up his um, accuracy, but it does sound like he does take some more risk with the ball. <laughs> <I wouldn't> <laughs> but <laughs> apparently those risks have paid off for him in camp. So I'm not sure how that's being, how that's playing, but he's definitely, I think, you know, Hendon's definitely a guy that he protects the ball. And I know Fuente has always preached protecting the ball. So I think that's another thing that we'll look at. I don't know if the, the things Braxton is doing well are looked at as a good thing or a neutral thing, depending on how, how much risk he's taking in order to do them. Um, you know, we know what we're getting with Quincy and it sounds like Quincy has taken some steps forward in his accuracy, um, in the short passing game, which is what we wanted to see because we knew he could throw the deep ball and we knew he was a big dude that would run you over. And if he can put that intermediate passing game into play, he's going to be a lot of, lot of, lot of trouble for, for guys. So. 
tons of trouble. Again, again, the room it was like they're making improvements. I still think Hinton's the man. Um, you know, he, six, 13 touchdown passes, two interceptions last year. I mean, literally had us in every game, averaged almost 37 points a game. You, you don't backtrack that. You yep. don't. And again, I think it's what you're saying is coach is trying to keep him motivated to continue to push and be the best he can be, not take your eyes off the prize. And that's why he's not named anybody yet. Um, I, I, I'm going to say this. What Today is the 27th. Tomorrow will be the 28th when we drop this. I think I think Coach Fuente on roughly the 9th or 10th will drop to the starter is he did that similar every year. You know, he usually gives it about a week out. Maybe he goes a little bit closer with the UVA game, but you know, that is what it is, man. Yep. All right. Um, Brian, we look, he mentioned two specific freshmen. Um, one guy, I think maybe a little bit shocking. The other guy, not at all. The shocker. Keontae Jenkins. What, what did you think when he kind of mentioned Keontae, which you know, Jacksonville kid, Florida kid, they're, they're different. We know that. But when you hear him kind of getting praise this early. Yeah, that, that jumped off for me because he wasn't one that I necessarily had right on my radar as being a guy that would pop this quick. Um, it shows me that he's quick at picking things up because you don't come in and, and, and make an impression like that if you're not good at picking things up. Um, pretty quickly, um, especially at that position. Yeah, especially at that position. So I really like that. That definitely uh, you know, gives me hope that we might be able to see him. If if we don't see him on the field a decent amount um, outside of special teams, obviously, uh, this fall, I, I, I look forward to seeing him next year uh, potentially make some noise. Um, and that, that that's big news for me because, I, I like I said, he wasn't on my radar as a guy to look out for when camp started. Um Another guy that I wasn't shocked to hear was that Robert Wooten um, has been showing good flashes in camp so far. Um, you know, he, him along with uh, Alec Bryan, I said, were probably two guys that you would want to look for as, you know, being able to make an impact. Um, you know, usually D line guys, especially guys with their size, yeah. you know, tend to tend to pop quick if they've got the goods. So, you know, hearing his name mentioned in there doesn't surprise me. Yeah, and and you hear him having the goods. You talked about him. You have mentioned him and Alec Bryant. They already have the bodies. They can come in and contribute day one. Helps with defensive line depth. And you know, goes right into the right into the next thing we're talking about. Red shirts. You don't need no stinking red shirts. Not this year, baby. The <laughs> um, so basically with the NCAA eligibility rule. We discussed that earlier this week, and. Coach was just straight up. It was hilarious. He was like, all hands on deck. Everybody, basically, if you if you can show something, you are going to play this fall. Yeah. Um, it's awesome. And <laughs> but I think, then, you know, we, we had talked about it. We said that's going to be a really big thing for special teams, right? Um, yeah. Because while some of these freshmen might not be frontline talent guys that are ready to, you know, play every down or play a significant number of snaps a game, they are guys that can get out on special teams, make some plays for you, um, and potentially, if nothing else, give some of these guys that are every down players a breather. You know, all, all things being equal, you want the you know 
you want the younger guy out there so you're not uh, wasting the uh, the guy that's playing every down um, on, on the special teams unit. Now, obviously, if there's a clear um, advantage to a veteran, then you go with him. But uh, you know, if, if there's mostly a, a, an even swap there, get the young guy out there on special teams, no doubt. Yeah, get him out there. Um, and then he kind of mentioned like. <laughs> It was kind of it was one of the funnier pieces, you know, and it's all of us. No clue what's going to happen after this, how the management of the roster is going to happen. Basically, he's saying, damn the torpedoes. Yeah. You know, you have the talent. You are going to play. Um, and me and you kind of talked about, well, this also gives an opportunity, too, to maybe saving some of your starters because, you know, we only had 14 guys. And I think, you know, you think about a couple of the guys transferring in like Changa. Like Devin, where if they aren't ready, you can say, hey, guys, you can redshirt your seniors. Redshirt senior this year, play next year. Well, thank you. I know, right? Hey, transfer in. Hey, sit the bench for a year and do it. But I think what it says, me and you talked about, was this is a way you can save some hits on your best players in the special teams in certain situations where hopefully in the long run you're getting them more carries on – offense or more pos- more possessions with their offense or defensive units than a special teams unit when they do that, which in the long term could really help out, you know, you know, conditioning, staying in shape, staying, um, staying off the injury report. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, you know, it, it's nice having your, your, your best talent on special teams. Um, but if I've got a guy that in terms of their impact on special teams, isn't significantly more than what James significantly less than what James Mitchell brings to the table. I don't need James Mitchell out there. <laughs> let's, let's save him for offense. Let's not hit him more than he needs to be hit. Let's not, you know, get him gassed. So he's ready for the fourth quarter thing. You know, things like that. I mean, it, it probably isn't a significant thing, but it's definitely a little thing. And I think, you know, you, those can add up over the course of a year. Absolutely. All right. No word on Raheem. Um, Black Shears waiver. Now, you know, there were some questions asked, and, you know, we made we, say this, we kind of ignored them because, like, we've heard it. We, we hear it, we hear it, we hear it. But but for us, it just seems like it's very inconsistent. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't seem arbitrary in the term of who gets a waiver and who doesn't because it, it, it doesn't. It's like the guy, you know, JT Daniels came all from Southern California, got an immediate waiver to play at Georgia. He's from Southern California. Pretty sure he is. Let me uh, yeah. look at that. But that makes no sense whatsoever. Like, guy born and raised in Santa Ana, California, can get a waiver to go all the way across the country to play. This guy's coming from Rutgers, down, coach fired, new coach, all this crap. So, you know, it's irritating. Coach was, you know, they don't handle it. It's done by compliance. We all know that. Any, First of all, anybody out there listening that doesn't know that, please do a little research, understand all this isn't in the coach's hands. Um, but he mentioned something about, for him, he, he wants more clarity. I think yeah. everybody wants more clarity. Like, it's one of those things where you almost want to say, when a guy gets a transfer, you need to say how he got it, why he got it. And yeah. if you don't be that transparent because it might make your organization look bad, then maybe you're doing something wrong. Yeah, I mean, that's the big thing, I think, that 
is frustrating for a lot of these schools like Virginia Tech. Um, I know UVA's had a couple. I know some other schools in the ACC have had a couple that have been turned down. The frustrating thing isn't that they're turned down. It's that the application of who gets approved and who doesn't seems, again, like you said, inconsistent and unclear as to, you know, what these other schools are doing to get the thumbs up and what we're not doing to get the thumbs down. Um, there definitely needs to be some sort of training on this. And we, we spoke about this last time on the podcast. There's got to be a way that you can train these compliance departments on why this is going on, redact whatever information is necessary to, you know, keep whose, whose application, um, you know, confidential as much as you can, especially in areas where it's more of a, um, you know, medical hardship or something to do with, with family emergencies versus a, just my coach was fired or, you know, yeah. a more football related item. Um, but I mean, we're seeing things that are purely football related in terms of what we see from the outside and all of a sudden they get approved in something that seems to be equivalent, like a coach is fired at Rutgers, a hire was pending and he announces his transfer and then that not get approved. So, I mean, it it is what it is at this point. I mean, at this point, you know, there's nothing we can do other than wait for the appeal, but going forward, it would be nice to get some of this um, laid out a little bit more clear. We need some a lot of money to see the NCAA. Yeah. You got to share this. Hey, we got an Amazon deal, don't we? Ooh, maybe. (laughs) Awesome news earlier this week. John Parker only tweets out he has gotten the scholarship. Uh, Coach mentioned it in the presser. Uh, Basically, it was the scholarship was not a gift. He truly earned it, and he he did really earn it, man. Um, One of the top fifth, I think he's number 11 in the, you know, kickoffs last year, essentially down inside the end zone, which is a really good number. So, you know, Coach, a lot of things to say about um, him being a great teammate and a lot of the stuff like that. But, Brian, he's a senior. And with yep. this eligibility, <laughs> hey. I, think, I think Oscar's gone. I think Oscar should go. I think Oscar should try to see if he can make it in the NFL. But now you have your kickoff specialist. What did he do last year? Really good at Notre Dame. Oscar pulled his groin like on that Thursday in warmups. Okay. And, and, and we were like, oh, my God, now we got to go to Notre Dame and play this really good team. And he went out there and balled. So I really think Oscar, again, I said it again, Oscar needs to try to go to the NFL. But for us, we have our kickoff specialist, a guy who can punt. Um, and the one thing, I think this is just Coach Fu's personality. He gave him the option if he wanted to announce it. They didn't make a big damn spectacle of it. It's like you've earned it. It's your scholarship. You don't have to pay for um, your schooling anymore. Yeah, there's a little kerfuffle about that on the timeline in the in Twitter about uh, hey, you should be uh, you know taking a video of this and making a big deal or at least announcing it on the the team Twitter. And you know, Bo shot back at and said, hey, you know, we don't need to to beat our chest every time we do something you know that that, that looks good. Um, and we gave him the opportunity to share it if he wanted to, and he decided to. So that's where we are. And, you know, I agree with that. I mean, I 
you know, we see it every year. We actually saw it uh, today with with UVA. I'm going to go ahead and, um, you know, I'm going to throw some UVA slander out here. Uh, they they did a bit. Morning. They, they did a bit with uh, somebody driving up on a uh, on a scooter with a mailbag delivering uh, a special delivery to to Bronco. And, uh, you know, it ended up having the, the two scholarship offers within these, these, uh, these things there. And like, I mean, it's, it's nice to see the kids get excited and the teammate teammates rally around it, but it seems like it's more of a recruiting point than anything that's genuine. And I feel like if we know anything about coach Fuente and what, what he's about, you know, he, if it if it doesn't feel genuine or natural, he's probably not going to do it. He's not going to do it at all. But great for uh, John Parker. Um, Brian, let's hit this real quick. Coach mentioned it numerous places, but you know we are out of fall camp now, and we are more into your preparation practices, installations, which is very awkward. You normally it's like, well, this makes sense. We are virtually ten days out. Makes perfect sense. Well, now it's a little different because we're not truly ten days out. Um, you know, yeah, we, we will be we would do, be doing mock game either this weekend or next weekend in a normal season. This weekend, because next weekend we would have been playing Liberty on Labor Day weekend. Yeah, so yeah, you're right. You're right. About mock game, I'm wondering can they still do mock game with this stuff going on? Are they? I mean, are they going to take them up to Hotel Roanoke on Friday night and stay and do all the walkthroughs down there? Probably. Not. I don't know. I don't. I mean, I would. I would say probably not. I mean, I think they probably have something else, maybe closer to campus or on campus that isn't, yeah, you know, retreat into your normal environment. Yeah. But I think they're. I don't know if that's something that they would do just because of, you know, the increased exposure that you're talking about, um, that comes with going into the, another city, into a hotel, things yeah. of that nature. So. It'll be interesting to see what that, what that process is like, because that's definitely going to be something that I think, as you said, is going to be a little different this year than a normal game. But, I mean, yeah. as far as what happens on the other parts of it, which, you know, team meal the night before, team breakfast the morning of, all the walkthroughs and all that stuff, all that's going to be the same. So, you know, I think they'll still do it. I just don't know what the actual – between the hours of 9 and 7 <laughs> – the where they're going to pour into the morning is going to, where that's going to happen. Exactly. And then again, going into where they're going to class now, less time with the coaches. It's more truly like, like, you know, like normal game weeks. So, you know, they're there now. And the question is they're going to have, you know, golly, how many days they're going to have essentially 22 days of this. You wonder the coaches again. He mentioned it. You've got to adapt to it. But what are they going to be doing? Or you know, is next weekend are they going to run like a full scrimmage, like at Lane, to basically say, you know, we're going to play in two weeks. Let's get one where we split the sides up. Let's let's play one versus ones. Let's get guys in the booth where they're calling plays and let's do it. Not mentioned, but again, for me and you, it goes through our heads. Are we going to do these things to get ready for the nineteenth? Um, so again, a lot more questions to be answered and we'll probably not find out unless you just want to go right around Blacksburg and the stadium and look like creepers. Coach <laughs> um, was asked one other thing about what happens if we go virtual and he had a lot of interesting stuff to say, Brian. 
Yeah, I mean, and that's that, that's definitely a concern, um, number one, because, you know, students are now back on campus for going on full two weeks at this point. Um, so things look different, right? And yeah. um, I think the concern is, you know, a lot of these other campuses, kind of week two is when things started taking a turn for the south, and we're hoping that something similar doesn't happen in Blacksburg. Um, nope. You know, to this point, the numbers have been low and they've been consistently low. So we haven't seen any sort of spikes or anything like that. So um, that's been a good, a good thing at this point. I, I can't remember, but I think the, uh, the percent positive of what the, of the numbers that they've already tested was like 0.0025. Yeah. So that, was, that, that's, that's a pretty darn low uh, percent positive know, rate. Testing before you actually, when you get to campus actually works. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah so, so the positivity rate's really low um so you like to see that so i think i think that's as long as those numbers don't spike i think they'll keep holding what they have um you know but he said if it does go virtual that's not going to be his call um yeah. in terms of whether you know the players stay on campus or not um you know coach is going to obviously make a <laughs> Coach will approach that if a decision is made by the uh, by the university. It's going to be easier if they go virtual, but football players are allowed to stay on campus. Um, yeah. I think that is kind of an obvious thing as well because we've seen, you know, what type of success they've had with the bubbles with the NBA and and things like that. So we know the bubbles work, and yeah. if you can sequester your team away from infected folks for as many days as possible it under works. this circumstance, it's it, the likelihood of it, there being an outbreak in the team is going to go down significantly. Yeah. And one of the last thing you kind of wrapped with was the players, even they, the discipline has to be there even more so with people back on campus now. Um, and, you know, it, it's on those guys, like you've got 20 plus days, say it's, you know, Wear your mask, distance, stay away from tots. Yeah, yeah. Stay away from tots. And, I mean, he made the point, you know, football players have a lot more to lose if they contract the illness than your average university person does. So they need to be more diligent than your average student. And so it's on them to do that. And I think it seems like, you know, what we talked about last week with, uh, you know, Diablo and uh, and Mitchell, it sounds like those leaders on the team have definitely impressed that on some of the young guys. So hopefully that continues to stick. And regardless of what's happening in Blacksburg as a whole, that the team is doing the right thing. Absolutely. man. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up this episode of the boundary corner podcast. My name is Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, subscribe for us for the podcast on your favorite source, including Spotify, and Apple Music. We always let our buddy Jason Long play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple as well. We thank you for listening, and as always, let's go! Okies!